Good morning. Hey, today's scripture reading is from Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 through 20. If you're using the Blue Pew Bible, it's on page 398. Today's scripture reading is from Nehemiah chapter 2. If you're using the Blue Pew Bible, it's on page 398. Please rise for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. In the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forests, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of this, they jeered at us and despised us, saying, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will rise and build but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. 
Please be seated. All of us um, face challenges and problems every week. Some issue might be smaller than others, and some might be just overwhelming issues. And it seems like it's impossible to resolve. It might be a terrible broken relationship. It might be infertility or, or a horrible illness or an unsurmountable financial problem. What can we do? There are three common ways how one might handle these problems. One is to sort of ignore it and pretend that it does not exist. The second way is that, well, I'm going to solve it myself. I'm going to fix it with all of my might. The third way, we might pray to God and say, God, solve this problem. But yet we don't do anything about it ourselves. Some might claim this as faith. Yes, we do need to commit ourselves commit our problems to the Lord, but, but we also need to take some responsibility, some action also. And this reminds me of, of the overwhelming problem there in Jerusalem, as you remember last week in, in Nehemiah chapter 1, that the walls of Jerusalem were broken, and the gates were destroyed by fire. And with the walls broken down, the city was vulnerable. The enemy attacked. They're defenseless. Well, how did Nehemiah respond to this enormous problem? And I believe we can learn many valuable lessons from Nehemiah. Well, he did not do those, those three common responses that I mentioned just a moment ago. As you recall, that Nehemiah, he, he, he wept and he mourned and he prayed and he fasted. We see that Nehemiah was really the true man of faith. See, a, a man of faith recognizes what is out of his control. And, and then he commits those things to the Lord because it's out of his control. And we see here in Nehemiah, at the end of Nehemiah 11, chapter, chapter 1, verse 11, Nehemiah asked God to give him favor through the king. This was too big of a problem. He committed to the Lord. And yet we, as we look at today's passage in chapter 2, we see the other half. Not only do we need to pray to God with those things that are out of our control, but, but we need to also plan. We do have some responsibility, how we can be part of the solution. 
understand those things that are within our control. What can we do in being part of the solution? From chapter 1 of Nehemiah to chapter 2 of Nehemiah, four months has passed by. We see that Nehemiah had a heavy heart. He not only prayed and sought God's will for his life, he also made himself available to do whatever God wants him to do with this problem, to be part of the solution if possible. And from the context of this passage, we see that he felt the Lord was calling him to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And as God might reveal various needs in your life, are we willing to make ourselves available to be part of the solution? Or do we just kind of push it away and say, hey, well, I'm busy. Right, that's, that's too big of a task for me to do. I'm not ready to handle that. Not at this time. We see that Nehemiah could easily have said those things. But he saw the problem through the eyes of the Lord. And he committed himself to pray, as well as to make himself available to be part of the solution as the Lord leads him. And as he waited for the Lord, we see in the rest of this chapter that he also planned. See, a true man of faith is one that prays and plans. He was able to distinguish the difference between those things that are out of his control and those things that are out of his control. He turned to the Lord, he prayed and committed to him, and yet those things that are within his control, he planned. He did something about it. This enormous project will require a lot of resources, timber to rebuild the walls, and it was out of his control. And he turns to the Lord and asks the Lord to give him favor before the king. And, and as we continue in chapter 2, we see what Nehemiah was also doing. He was only praying, but he was planning. Let's, let's take a look. Um, in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2, we see here that the king recognized that Nehemiah was sad. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, he took up wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Nehemiah has never been sad in the presence 
of the king before. See, see a, a servant was never to show a negative emotion before the king. For it suggests dissatisfaction toward the king. And when one does that, it, it, it jeopardizes his life. And it could mean death. We see here, Nehemiah's heavy heart. He was so disturbed about what was happening in Jerusalem. He was so disturbed that he, he couldn't hide his brokenness that was inside. So the king recognized that it was sadness of the heart and not a physical illness. And when Nehemiah recognized that the king noticed that he was sad, it says that he was afraid. Nehemiah probably was pondering what to do next, whether to cover up by lying, saying, well, you know, I, I had a bad night, didn't sleep very well. He could have said that. But instead, um, he shared from his heart as to what was going on that he had a heavy heart. He risked his life to tell the king what was in his heart. Let's continue reading verse 3 and 4. It says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's grave, lies in ruin and his gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I pray to God of heaven. We see in Nehemiah's response, he avoid naming Jerusalem. That he's, he needs to go to Jerusalem because the king has stopped rebuilding of Jerusalem actually a few years ago. And that's recorded in Ezra. Therefore, he appealed to the king's sense of respect for the dead. Notice, notice what Nehemiah said. Nehemiah said, the city where his ancestors were buried and was in ruin and the gates had been burned. So, Adesertzi's heart responded to Nehemiah's answer. The king then asked Nehemiah, what are you requesting? Nehemiah realized that this is that opportunity that he's been praying for. He's been praying that God would show favor in him to the king. And he quickly, before he responded, he prayed. You know, Nehemiah was a man of prayer. You know, he believed God could make things happen. It could be long prayer, it could be short prayer. He didn't have much time before responding to the king. But he prayed, asking, probably asking God to give him wisdom as he takes advantage of this opportunity. When God calls us to a big task, 
can always provide the necessary resources to do it. The key is to be in the center of God's will. What does God really want me to do? And Hudson Taylor said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. This reminds me of our Pearland um, campus. Some years back, there were 40 uh, pledges that were made uh, for the building, for their building campaign. And they collected a little bit less than $400,000. However, the project will cost $4 million. It seems like an impossible task. We see the people turn to the Lord, committed to, to, to the Lord concerning about completing this project. And just two months ago, they are debt-free from the building. What appeared to be impossible, God made it possible. Last year, ACC needed $10 million to purchase the land next door as well as the building. It seems like an unreachable goal. And yet we commit that to the Lord. And the good Lord provided for us. When we recognize our helplessness, then that's when God goes to work. But when we think we could do it all, that's when God says, okay, well, let, it, let you do the work yourself. Nehemiah recognized that he could not rebuild the wall by himself. He committed, he committed things to the Lord that was outside of his control. He asked God a bold request, asking God that to, to give him favor before the king. You see here that Nehemiah not only prayed, but he also planned. As he was waiting for God to answer his prayer, he was ready to give an answer when the king asked him what he would need. Because he was planning all along. He did those things that was within his control. The king responded to Nehemiah's heavy heart by asking him, What are you requesting? As we take a look in verses 5 to 8, see Nehemiah bow requests. He, he makes a strong and actually kind of ridiculous request. Let's, let's see what uh, he asks, what, what, what he asks of the king. Verse 5, and, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and your servant have found favor in your sight, that you sent me to Judah, to the city of my father's grave, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me 
to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the king's, the keeper of the king's forest, and he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the walls of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah responded by revealing his plan. It was not just a general plan, but it was filled with various specific details. It involved the, the best route for him to go to Jerusalem. It involved resources that he needed to rebuild the wall. It, it also involved time frame that he thought through concerning about the projects. So he did a tremendous amount of research. You see, back in those days, there was no internet or Google to figure things out. It required a lot of effort, a lot of, lot, lot, lot of energy and time to find those information. And for four months, Nehemiah not only prayed, but he also planned. Nehemiah got all the information, and he was ready to make this bold request before the king. Since Nehemiah was uh, need to take a leave of absence, he calculated how long that he was going to be gone. It says that Nehemiah gave the king a, a definite time that he was going to be gone. Nehemiah requested letters of uh, permission from the king to allow him to pass through various provinces. This was a very extended journey that will take him several months. And Nehemiah knew exactly which province that he's going to be passing by and asking the king to get a letter of permission to do so. He needed timber to build beams for the gates, fortress, um, for, for, the, for the gates of the fortress of the temple, as well as the walls of the city and for the house that Nehemiah shall occupy. He even knew who the keeper of the king's forest was. And who's going to pay for all of these things? Well, he was also requesting the king to do so. That was a humongous request. God is the only one that's possible in fulfilling this request. The only reason that uh, Nehemiah has such confidence is because he has an intimate relationship with the Lord. You see, the more you know a person, the more you have confidence to ask for something big from that individual. And we see here that Nehemiah had great confidence in the Lord, asking for a bold request. A man of faith 
not one that's only pray hard, but also plans hard. What bold requests do you, are you willing to make before the Lord? May we remember some of God's promises in 1 John 5.13 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Do we know what God's will for us? In Psalms 37, 1, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I believe God desires for us to know his will. He wants to make it clear to us. As a matter of fact, it's, it's, it's a matter of whether, whether we really want to know or not. And, and the key is really to spend time praying and listening to the Lord. May we pray hard. But once we understand what God wants us to do, may we plan hard. Do all that is within our control to be part of the solution. And we see here that God answered Nehemiah's prayer by moving the king to grant all of Nehemiah's bold requests. Nehemiah quickly gives credit to God. He says it's the good hand of God for answering his prayer. This is only possible because God interceded. and God answered and provided the means for him to go. We see in verse 9, Nehemiah started this journey to Jerusalem. The Lord not only gave Nehemiah letters to the governors to pass through the land. The king also noticed he provided Nehemiah officers of the armies and horsemen. See, Nehemiah did not include that in his bow request, but God gave him extra bonuses. This reminds me one of my favorite verses, um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within you. As we enter into the renovation phase this this year um, will need to raise funds. I believe God's going to surprise us with some extra bonuses. Yes, we need to plan and do our homework to see how best to design the new building so that we can meet all of our ministry needs for the next 50 years. And the master plan has recently just been completed. Yesterday in church council, we, had a, we, we for the first time had a chance to uh, take a look at it. And we're excited about um, what, it, what it's going to be like. Once the master plan uh, be voted by the council, 
at the end of this month. It will be introduced to the congregation next month. And then the congregation will need to vote on the master plan. We're just excited to see what God's going to do in the coming year. When God does good work, do expect the enemy to do all that he can to distract and to discourage us. We see in the next verse, in verse 10, that there's starting this opposition. There's opposition to Nehemiah's revealing plan. And we're going to see more of this opposition when Nehemiah rallies the people to join him in rebuilding the wall later on in this passage. We started this sermon talking about Nehemiah's heavy heart. Then we talked about Nehemiah's bow requests. And now we come to the third point where we will examine Nehemiah's inspection of the wall. Let's take a look in verses 11 to 14. It says, So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night. I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the uh, dragon uh, spring and to the dun gate. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that has been destroyed by fire. So the long journey from Susa in Persia to Jerusalem took several months. Nehemiah felt it was critical for him to personally inspect the wall of Jerusalem before speaking to the people concerning about what God wants him to do. He wants to make sure that all the information that he received was correct. He wants firsthand experience. And yes, actually, it was his first time in Jerusalem. So in the evening, he took a selected few men and, and they went out to examine the wall. And with his own eyes, he indeed verified what was reported to him was exactly correct. You see, Nehemiah did not want to rush into making the announcement of his plan right away. He wanted to make sure that uh, all, the information, all, the, all the information was correct and factual. Nehemiah waited for the right moment to reveal or to... To, to reveal the, the vision that God had for them to rebuild the wall. Let's take a look in verses um, 17 and 18. It says, we will see, oh, sorry. Uh, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with his gates burned. Come, let us build the wall, the the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision or disgrace. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king has spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. 
So Nehemiah comes into Jerusalem with all the supplies, but yet he didn't have people to come along his side to rebuild the wall. After getting firsthand experience and being eyewitness of the condition of the walls of Jerusalem, he was ready to recruit a team to execute the plan. Well, how did Nehemiah rally the Jewish people to join him in this amazing vision? First, he points out the problem that was at hand. See, uh, w without understanding that there is a problem, uh, there's no need for a solution. And not only understand the problem, but the urgency to do something about it. And somehow the people have been kind of nonchalant about the uh, broken walls and became kind of complacent about it. And Nehemiah appealed to their national and spiritual heritage. So the reason why they need to rebuild the wall was, was, was for honor and for respect. That's the primary reason, and, and as well as for safety and security. He was saying, well, this is shameful. It is, it's disgraceful to have broken walls, which reflects badly upon their religious faith. See, Nehemiah didn't come. He didn't come to them and say, well, hey, I am the Savior here. No, I, I got all the material. Hey, you know, this is a mess over here. Hey, let's get to it. You know, you guys need to get to it. He could have said that. But instead, uh, he humbled himself. Notice the first-person pronoun that was being used as he challenged the people to rebuild the wall. He, he identified with the people. He says, let us build the wall. He was inviting the Jews to join him to rebuild the wall. His message was inspiring as he humbled himself before the Jewish people. He was communicating that they need to work together as a team. They need each other. Nehemiah goes on to, to share his experience with God. He, he, he probably shared how God answered his prayer by using the king to provide all the necessary resources. He asks bold requests that seems to be impossible in the eyes of man. But the Bible says all things are possible with God. Is there anything too difficult for God? When there are things that are out of our control, we can't always go to the Lord. Who specializes on doing the impossible? As a matter of fact, the harder the requests, the more we will give praise to God when he fulfills and answers that prayer. Because nobody else could have answered it besides God. The king sending Nehemiah off to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem with all the resources and letters of permission to cross provinces could only be possible because God ordained it 
as possible. We see here, Nehemiah was telling stories of what has happened. See, stories are powerful. May we share stories of God's sovereign power. It becomes a tremendous motivation for others to believe and to follow God's vision. Notice that Nehemiah focuses on God and his vision for the people. Yes, there will be challenges, but yet God will make a way when there seems to be no way. The key is determining what is God's vision for us. And may we ex spend extended time in prayer seeking God's will for us. I still remember it uh, shortly after I started serving here. It was, um, I, I started in 1984, but it was in 1987, we had a vision to build this sanctuary as well as the educational wing adjacent to us. However, at that time, it, we were facing probably the greatest recession in the history of Houston. We've lost hundreds of job, people in, the, in our congregation. Many of them lost their jobs. A number of them had to change career. And some of them had to move out of Houston in order to find jobs. It was probably the worst time to try to build and raise funds. And yet, um, God uh, led us to do so because we felt that was what God was leading us to do. Many people around us thought that we were totally insane trying to raise funds in such dire condition. And yet, we remember what Hudson Tater said. It says, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God has provided for us in the past. I believe he will provide for us in the future in finishing up our renovation project in our new building. May we respond in faith and not in fear. It is one thing to pray, but we also need to plan, and it goes hand in hand. After Nehemiah challenged to the Jews, they responded immediately by saying, let us rise up and build. They're willing to roll up their sleeve and make sacrifice in order to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Whenever, whenever God is doing something good through his people, it's very common. We see the enemy would not be very happy and would do all that he can to distract us, to discourage us. We, we see this happening. Nehemiah here, as we look at the final two verses in verses 19 and 20. But when Sambalik, the Horonite, and the Tobiah, the Amorites, servant, and Gisham, the Arab, heard of it, they jerked at us 
and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servant, will arise and build. But you have no portion of or right or claim in Jerusalem. You know, Ethnos, we uh, sent off the Ethnos team to, uh, about a month ago, and they have been having worship service for the last few weeks. Uh, I've just been a tickler of death um, that the Lord has brought many new visitors uh, to our group during the past uh, couple months. Uh, we, we have uh, received guests uh, from Spain, from Venezuela, El Salvador, Guatemala, Bulgaria, Korea, Brazil. We've also had uh, African-American visiting with us, as well as Caucasians. And you know, to, uh, when things are going well, expect the enemy to attack. Uh, during uh, the past couple of weeks, a number of our core team members got sick with COVID and other illnesses, just one after another. We just really felt that, the, that we were in the middle of a spiritual battle. I remember talking to one of our teammates just a couple of days ago, and he says, you know, with, with all these opposition, we got to be doing something right because the enemy is attacking us. We see it, um, that Nehemiah rallied people to rebuild the wall, and they were excited to do so. And we see in these last couple of verses, 19 and 20, that um, there was opposition, that uh, there, there was mocking that was taking place, ridicule, as well as false accusation to discourage and distract Nehemiah as well as the Jews. But Nehemiah, as a man of faith, did not swoop down to the level of argument and accusation of the opposition. Instead, he placed his confidence in God. Again, throughout this passage, we see Nehemiah constantly turning back to God, giving credit to God, having confidence what God's going to do. And again, he does the same thing as he concludes this chapter. He had total confidence, claiming that God's going to make them prosperous. And that they will arise and build, rebuild the wall, and that their opponents have no part in it. We see the last two chapters that Nehemiah was a man of faith, that, that he prayed. And not only did he pray, but he planned, he trusted God, he stepped out in faith depending upon the Lord. Although there might be an a, a, a enormous task, he made himself available. And we, when he felt God was leading him to rebuild the wall, he turned to the Lord with 
many things that were out of his control, believing that he could sovereignly work through and make that happen. And he prayed and prayed for four months. But also during that time, not only did he pray, but he also planned and gathered information. And, and he prayed and also planned. May we learn lessons from Nehemiah. May we seek God's will as to what he wants us to do. And when we understand that, may we make ourselves available to serve in whatever capacity. And things that are out of our control, we seek the Lord to answer and provide. Those things that are within our control, may we do all that we can to make it possible. Let us pray. Lord, um, we thank you for Nehemiah, and we thank you for his life, um, his life of faith, Lord. He had an intimate relationship with you. He relied upon you. He believed that you can do great things and do things that are impossible. He had confidence in you. Lord, we pray that you teach us to have confidence in you. Help us to know you better so that we can have more confidence to go before you. And may we be willing to make bold requests because we know that uh, you specialize in the impossible. So teach us to trust you more each day. In Jesus' name, amen.